Well, good morning, ZF family. I'm grateful that we can gather together without in the same place at the same time. And if you're tuning in for the first time and joining us, we're grateful that you are. My name is Drew Hunter. I'm one of the pastors at Zionsville Fellowship, and we would love to connect with you. So if you would, you can visit our website, and there's a button you can click called Connect, and that would allow us to get in touch with you, and we'd love to do so. And kids, I'm so glad you're joining us. And I encourage you, if you're interested, to grab some paper and uh, something to draw or color with and draw what you hear from God's Word in this sermon. Here's a couple examples from my own sons from this past Sunday. And if you'd like, we can. I'd love to receive your drawings and see what you've heard from God's Word and share them with the rest of our church family as well like this. So you can email office at zionsvillefellowship.org or you can just email them to direct me directly, have your parents do that, and we'd love to see how you're engaging with God's Word. Well, we're continuing in our new series called Reintroducing Jesus because we need to be reintroduced to Him. Our friends and neighbors and our culture needs to be introduced to the real Jesus. I was just recently watching an interview of Justin Bieber, and I don't know where he is spiritually right now, but I was really encouraged by the things that he said. And what he expressed there expresses something that I think is incredibly common for people today. And he said that he had believed in some sense that Jesus died for our sins and he gives us forgiveness, but he had never really known what it means to follow him. He didn't know that you were to, you, you receive forgiveness as a gift, but to receive, you give him everything and you follow him. The way he put it is he said, he has now recently learned that there's no real faith without obedience. And that's true. And so when he was asked when this transformation happened, when he started to actually begin following Jesus, he said something striking. He said, it was when my perception of who Jesus really is changed. And so that's what we need. We need our perception of Jesus changed and in particular conformed to reality. And so that's really why we're doing this series from the Gospel of John. We're looking at these seven statements Jesus makes that begin with the statement, I am. So we've looked at Jesus say, I am the resurrection and the life. We've seen him say, I am the the." Uh, the light of the world. And then this morning, we're going to consider his statement, I am the bread of life from John chapter six. So if you're able to grab a Bible and open with me to John chapter six, we're going to read this story together and then we'll walk, walk through it and consider it. And so in this chapter, what we're going to see is a lot of people beginning to crowd around Jesus because they're following him. They're actually called disciples in some sense. Uh, but we're, what we're going to see is that Jesus gently but directly challenges what it means for them to actually believe in him and to be his disciple. By the end, some people actually stopped following him because they didn't actually believe in the real Jesus. They had perceptions of who he was that didn't conform to reality. Other people are clinging to him with increased and true faith. So Jesus' words here challenge you and I to embrace who he really is and uh, not who we may want him to be. So let's read together John chapter 6, verses 25 through 59. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life 
which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what is the sign that you do, that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So everything in this story turns on this image of bread. And so let's walk through this in three steps. The bread we seek, the bread we need, and how we get it. So first, the bread we seek. Jesus had just done one of his most well-known miracles. It's one of the times where he multiplied bread miraculously and fed thousands of people. So people are seeking him to follow him and they find him. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 26, right at the beginning of what we read. You can see it with me. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, 
not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now that's surprising. Uh, People are seeking Jesus. They're crowding around him. They like him. But Jesus doesn't just accept that uncritically and think, hey, if I can have a gathering, if I can have a church service and people come and seek me and are interested, that's all a win. Instead, he welcomes them, but then he gently challenges them. And he says that they're seeking him, but they're not yet seeking him for the right reasons. They they don't yet know who he really is. They're just seeking him because they want him to give them more bread. And then he starts exposing their short-sighted vision. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So he's saying, you work really hard for food so you can stay alive a few more weeks, years, decades. But there's a greater food that you're missing out on. There's a greater food that you should be concerned about that leads to eternal life, not just a longer few more years here. So their short-sightedness is actually clouding their vision of who Jesus really is. You know, it's not wrong to want bread. Jesus gave the bread to them already. He cares about people's well-being. The issue is that's all they want. So here's the root issue Jesus is addressing. The people here are using him rather than wanting him. They don't want to follow Jesus because they want to know him. They want to follow Jesus because they want bread. They're looking for Jesus to meet their immediate temporal needs. And so Jesus presses on them to reflect on their motives. So this is an incredibly relevant question for everyone who seeks after Jesus, every single one of us. When we seek him, what is it that we actually want? What, why do we follow him? I think that's an important question for us to ask. Jesus is asking us here to gain some self-awareness. He was asking them then, and it's relevant to us today. He wants us to answer the question, what do you really want from him? Are you using him to get something else that you really want? Or do you want him? Now, some people just seek Jesus for help out of a difficult situation. Some people need healing. Some people need financial help. Some people need help with a relational conflict. And Jesus cares about those matters. One day he's going to come back, return, and renew all of creation and set the whole world to rights and make all things new. But the question for us is this. What is the deepest reason why you follow Jesus on any given day? Is it just to get things from him? Think about true friendship or a marriage. A friendship or a marriage isn't healthy if the two people are just using each other, right? Um, A strong and healthy relationship is marked by deep affection for one another and commitment to one another. We don't just use one another, we enjoy one another. So how is your approach to Jesus? Are you just using Jesus and Christianity broadly considered for a sense of community and friendship with people? Are you using Jesus for help or for a sense of religious fulfillment? Or are you actually seeking to know and enjoy Jesus, seeking him for eternal life? It's a question not just to ask in general, but really moment by moment. I need to ask this of my own motives on a daily basis. Am I, are you mainly seeking after Jesus for something he can give? Or are you enjoying him? When you listen to a sermon, are you seeking just to be 
intellectually engaged? Um, or are you seeking to hear from God and engage with his voice, even right now what we're doing? In other words, on any given day, are we seeking him just because we want more bread? Or are we seeking him because we want him? When we go to the Father in prayer, are we essentially saying, Father in heaven, my will be done, right? Do my will, and I'm bringing you my needs so you can meet my will. Or are we saying, Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. So this leads us to the next step, from the bread we seek to the bread we need. The issue is not that people want bread, they need it to live. The issue is that they want to use Jesus to get something other than him. Jesus has come as God the Son, who is himself our greatest joy. Knowing him is the point of life. Knowing him now and forever is what brings us deepest satisfaction. So Jesus starts speaking of himself here as the true bread that we need most deeply. He mentions this manna that God gave the Israelites in the wilderness after the Exodus redemption. And then he draws a parallel to himself. So he says, you can look with me in verse 33, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then he adds in verse 35, and this is the most explicit. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And he says it several other times. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. So they start disputing him about this. And Jesus keeps clarifying for them. Jesus refuses to let us have a small and distorted view of him. He clarifies for us. In verse 48, you can read it with me. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. For the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Uh, three brief observations about what it means here for Jesus to be the bread of life. First of all, we see that he is the source of eternal life. Just like bread gives us life for a few days, he, Jesus, gives life forever. He challenges people to not just labor for food to keep them alive a few more days or years or decades, but to seek him for eternal life. So just as bread is our source for temporary life, Jesus is our source for eternal life. Second, he himself is the point of eternal life. Eternal life is not just about ongoing existence. Eternal life is about a quality of life, not just a quantity of days. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, and he says this, eternal, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus Christ himself defines eternal life as knowing the triune God. He's putting the focus on himself here. He is the bread. It's not just that he gives bread. He is the true bread. So, you know, when you're looking forward to a good meal and you can't wait to have it, you know, think of your favorite meal. You know, for me, it's just a great piece of meat, steak maybe, and mashed potatoes and some kind of fruit. Just whatever, whatever your meal is, when you're looking forward to that meal, you aren't just thinking, I'm really excited for this meal because it's going to keep me alive for a few more days. No, you're, you're also thinking, I'm looking forward to this meal because the meal itself 
is satisfying and it's enjoyable. That's how Jesus wants us to think of him. You know, we think of bread as kind of just this appetizer or the side thing. But then bread was this staple for food. Meat was actually pretty more rare for them than it is for us. So bread is this representation of the center center of of a good meal. And so that's what Jesus is for us. He's saying that he's satisfying. He meets the deep soul hunger that each of us has. Third, the way that he provides eternal life is by dying for us and then rising again. Notice he said in verse 51, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's hinting here that he's going to be giving his body up for us on the cross. He's going to lay down his life for the life of the world. In order for him to give life for us, it will cost him his life. And that's what's going on here with this language of eating his flesh and drinking his blood later. He's intensifying the image in this dialogue. The people start getting offended, right? What does he mean by eating flesh and drinking his blood? I mean, it sounds like cannibalism. And so they're offended. But of course, he's not talking literally. He's not saying that they need to literally eat and drink him. But here's the deal. Once we're kind of relieved to know that he's not saying we need to actually kind of chew on his flesh in some literalistic way, we're still left with something that's deeply offensive. Because what is he saying? Well, he's pointing forward to his death. Blood signals death. He's going to die. And that was as offensive to the people then as this other image would have been. For him to be crucified on a cross for them, that they would need him to die for them. And that that's how God would do it. But this is how he gives life to the world. He dies in our place for our sins so that we can share in his life. So this is the bread of life. It's Jesus. He's the source of eternal life. He's the substance of eternal life. He's the point. So for our last step, how do we get it? At one level, the answer is obvious from reading this text, right? We get the bread of life through believing, trusting. Jesus said in verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So he says, get your focus on seeking the food that endures to eternal life. And then they respond, well, what kind of works do we need to do? And Jesus makes it clear in verse 29. What an amazing statement. He says, this is the work of God. And he doesn't start listing a bunch of good things we need to do. He says, this is the work that you believe in him whom he sent. The work of God is not to work but to believe, to trust in Christ, to receive this bread free of charge. I'm reading through the book of Isaiah slowly in my mornings for my own time in God's word. And I just recently read Isaiah 55, which I think Jesus is drawing on here. I think he has this in mind by the way that he um, alludes to it with his language. And Isaiah 55 says this. And by the way, this is in the context of Isaiah after Isaiah 53, which Isaiah prophesies of a servant who we know to be Jesus comes and dies in the place of his people and rises again. And then there's this open invitation to rejoice in his salvation. And then this invitation comes. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. So Jesus is is drawing on that to say, don't labor. 
just for a few meals for a few more years until you die. Believe in the one whom the Father has sent and enjoy him and delight in him and be satisfied in his feast. This is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's totally free. But this is way more than just intellectual assent uh, and some ideas about Jesus. That's often what we've reduced belief to because that's often how we use that word in our culture. But to believe something is more than just you know, intellectually agreeing with facts, at least according to the Gospel of John and Jesus. The Gospel of John gives us this rich, deep, and full picture of what true faith is. I'd encourage you, if you wonder, what does it mean to really believe in Jesus? Read through the Gospel of John and look at all these different images that he uses to help us understand a full picture of what true saving faith is. The image here that he gives is this image of eating. To believe is to spiritually consume. Just like we take food into our body and it gives life to our bodies, to believe is to take in Jesus so that he might give life to us. Later on, he talks about feeding on him, consuming his flesh, feeding on the bread of life. This is about being satisfied in Jesus in an ongoing way. It's coming to him for the first time and staying with him. So as Jesus clarifies who he is, he's inviting us all to consume him by faith, to know him, to enjoy him, to be spiritually satisfied in him. And now at this point in the story, uh, some people do believe and other people walk away. Some people get this clarified vision of Jesus as the bread of life and they stay with him. They believe in him. Others end up being offended by him and they leave. So what's the difference? Have you ever wondered that? Why do some people, when they hear the truth about Jesus, believe in him and some walk away offended? What at bottom is the difference? And Jesus gives a surprising answer here. He actually says, and he repeats this throughout our text here. He says that unless the father draws people to himself, And unless the spirit gives life, spiritual life, then no one would actually believe. Everybody would walk away. Everyone would. But some end up believing in Jesus there in this story and throughout history because God is too gracious to let everyone walk away. Instead, he draws people to his son. He said throughout the, Jesus said throughout this chapter, look at verse 36. He invites everyone to believe. The invitation's open to all. The question is, who will respond and why? And at bottom, here's the reason. He said, I said to you that you've seen me and yet don't believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So, If the father didn't draw, nobody would come to him. But the father draws certain people to Jesus. And then verse 65, as people are disputing him and getting offended by him and are ready to leave, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the father. So throughout this chapter, we see these two realities together that that we often have a hard time holding together, but Jesus does. He invites everyone to come to him and believe. And he also says that they can only do it if the Father draws them and the Spirit gives them life. 
Uh, This is the doctrine of irresistible grace. That doesn't mean that no one can ever resist the Father or the Spirit, um, but it does mean that when God decides, he can overcome that resistance and he can cause our hearts to delight in Jesus and want to come to him. And he can give us a new heart. He can regenerate our hearts that we would have life and believe. Now, I know this kind of thing may make some of you uncomfortable because Jesus is saying that at bottom, the Father is the one who draws people to himself and that's why people would come to believe. He's the one who chooses who comes to Jesus. But this is ultimately meant to be a stabilizing encouragement and a humbling reality because it means that salvation really is by grace all the way down to the bottom. Our hearts are so resistant to Jesus that we would not come to him. No one would come to him unless the Father draws them. Now, we don't know why the Father doesn't draw every single person, but it's grace that he draws any. And so we depend on him. God is gracious enough to overcome our resistance. Uh, So we're thinking of it like this. We need spiritual taste buds. We need to have an appetite for Jesus, and we do not have that default. We, we eat his bread, and we say that's gross. But the Spirit can give us taste buds and an appetite for Jesus, and he does that. And then we want his bread. So how do we respond to all of this? Just a few things in closing. First of all, we look to Jesus and we trust him. We look to him as our bread for eternal life. We look to him as our true bread. Maybe you have never done this. Maybe you have just thought of Jesus as, yeah, maybe he died and he forgave me, but I don't really know who he is. I don't really delight in him. I haven't really believed in him like eating spiritual bread. And so I invite you and Jesus calls you today to do that. He welcomes you today. He says, come to me, everyone who's thirsty, everyone who's spiritually hungry and eat me consume him by faith, by delighting in him. Let your soul reach out to him and take him and trust him for both forgiveness and for satisfaction. He says, don't don't seek him just for the things he can give you. Don't just seek him for bread like those people in, in those crowds, but seek him for who he is. Second, we do this in complete dependence on the Father and Spirit. If we come to Jesus, it's because God the Father draws us And the Spirit gives us life. And so we're completely dependent on Him. And so we depend on Him to do this work in our hearts, and we thank Him that He does. Third, we cultivate a spiritual appetite for Jesus. Peter, one of those disciples who was with Jesus, later wrote a letter to Christians. And here's what he said in 1 Peter 2. He said, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So this is a spiritual taste. There's a a spiritual appetite that we can have and we can cultivate. We're to cultivate this appetite for Christ and his word. John Owen, a great theologian from the 17 or 1600s, he wrote this in a book called The Glory of Christ, which I'd commend to you. He said, when men grow old, they lose much of the natural appetite. They must continue to eat to maintain life, but they do not have such a hearty appetite as they did in their younger days. So they begin, I hope this isn't true of you all, but maybe, so they begin to criticize the food or cooking. But the change is in themselves. Elderly believers may complain that the preaching they hear now is is not so fine as what they heard when they were younger. 
but the change may actually be in themselves. They've lost their spiritual appetite and do not hunger and thirst for heavenly food as they once did. What a striking observation. I found that the, the most humble people are the most easily edified, meaning easily encouraged by God's word. They're the most easily encouraged by sermons, by encouragement, by God's word. They're continually studying and growing in their uh, awareness of all that God is for us in Jesus. They're astonished at the at biblical texts they've studied their whole lives. So I'd encourage you, let's cultivate our spiritual appetite in this time. I mean, these are really strange times, but they, they allow us to go back to the essentials, back to the basics. So let's walk by faith and repentance um, in the word and prayer. I'd encourage you to view sermons as meals. That's how I'm viewing this. This is God's word, and, and we're eating it together um, because we want to know him. I'd encourage you to in, enjoy your time in the word, in God's word daily, as a meal that you need, and consider uh, extra snacks through the day of memorizing God's word or meditating on his word through the day. Parents, do not labor so hard just to put food on your children's plates so that they can stay alive for a few more days, years, or decades, but labor to put spiritual bread in their stomachs. Labor to put Jesus in front of your children, to read the word together, to pray for them, to talk about Jesus and to enjoy him together. And finally, let's point others to this bread. Uh, we are ultimately, at the end of the day, if you're a Christian, you are someone whom the Lord has given bread and you found it satisfying. And so our job is to just tell others that the table's open. They can pull up a chair. And so we invite them to come to the true bread. So, you know, in this time that hospitality's hard, we have a hard time putting bread in front of people right now with social distancing and all of this quarantine stuff, but we can still give people the bread of life. We can still talk to one another and others about Jesus and who he is, and what we're learning um, about following him. So let's do that together. Why don't we pray, and then I'll have a note for you. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this meal. Thank you for giving us your word, and thank you most of all for being satisfying to us in Jesus. We pray that you would be drawing us continually to continually eat and consume Jesus by faith, to be satisfied in him. We pray for anyone who has not yet uh, trusted in Jesus with this kind of wholehearted embrace and consuming that they would do that right now and begin following him and get plugged into a church family or our church family and grow together in following Jesus. And we pray that we would be, uh, we would recognize that Lord, we are beggars, and you've been so gracious to give us the bread of life. And we pray that we would not be stingy and hoard the bread of life, but we would love to share this bread with others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll enter into a time of encouragement and fellowship with one another now. So we are watching this together at the same time. And so I encourage you to send out a text or an email or give a phone call to another brother or sister in our church family. And maybe you've heard me give that encouragement for a few weeks now and you haven't actually done it. So I'd encourage you to actually do it. And maybe think of someone you haven't thought of. Maybe send a note to a few people. And if no one has sent something to you, I encourage you not to be discouraged about that. We don't, I mean, I, I don't know how many people are actually doing that in our church family anyways. So you just encourage someone else and lift their spirits. 
So let's do that for a brother or sister in Christ that we know. And then let's also each think of one person. Um, if you're a believer, think of someone who doesn't know Jesus yet and reach out to them and see how they're doing and encourage them. So with that, uh, here's a benediction from God's word. Thou may the love of God our Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Go in peace. Love you all.